cyclone blew away his home and a hailstorm destroyed all of his crops. And the banker foreclosed on his mortgage, took his farm. And yet with each stroke of misfortune, he knelt and gave thanks to God Almighty for his unchangeable mercy. And after time, penniless but still submissive to God, he landed in the county poorhouse. And one day the overseer sent him, a, sent him out to plow a garden. So he's plowing this potato field and a thunderstorm comes. And this thunderstorm was ferocious, ferocious and without warning, a bolt of lightning hits the plow and just scorches it and melts it into the ground. Tore all of his clothing off. Singed off his beard, branded him naked, and there he was, stripped bare in the middle of this field. So he gets up on his knees, clasped his hands, raised his eyes toward heaven, and the first time in his life he looks up and says, God, this is getting plumb ridiculous. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've had an occasion where everything seems to be going south. But there's another story that you might relate to, and that's Charlie Brown, and he's building a sandcastle. Works on it for hours. And finally, he stands back, looks at it, and he's just admiring the beauty of his work, his masterpiece. And he says, oh, what a beautiful sandcastle. And that moment, a wave comes and knocks it over, just destroys it. He looks at it again, he says, I know there's a lesson here somewhere, but I sure can't figure out what it is. Maybe you've had your sandcastle blown away. And every once in a while, we back up and say, why am I in the middle of a storm? Sometimes the storms are caused by the devil. Sometimes they're caused by other people. Sometimes they're caused by us. And sometimes... God, in His mysterious wisdom, allows us to go through them. But I've learned this about storms. Number one, now in your outline, there's some places for you to uh, write in if you want to. The first thing storms do for me is uh, it reveals the nature of my faith. In what or in whom do I really trust? Do I trust my bank balance? Do I trust other people more than God? Do I trust myself? Do I trust the government? Do I trust you name it? Or do I trust in the Lord? 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Thank you, Eli, for what you said leading up to the offering a moment ago. The second thing it uh, reveals is the strength of my commitment. The strength of my commitment. First, for 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Sometimes when we get up in the morning, we have no idea what's coming that day, but God does. And this word is a, is a rock in my life. Be steadfast, immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord. In other words, hey, don't quit, don't give up, but keep doing what God's called you to do. My dad said this to me when I was little, never forgotten it. He said, quitters never win and winners never quit. Pretty simple, wouldn't you say? But it's true. Third thing is the level of my maturity. 
the level of my maturity. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 through 4, and he said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? In other words, Paul said, hey, you, you're, you're too easily swayed by opinions. You're too easily swayed by circumstances, too easily swayed by the things of the world. But he says you need to grow up. Hard word, but true. The fourth thing it reveals is the healthiness of my attitude. The healthiness of my attitude. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, modern translation would say, Stop worrying about things. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's one more that's not on your outline. You can write it in. It says, the measure of my teachability. In other words, what is it that I need to learn from this? What is it about what's going on right now that, that I need to take home, that I need to take and chew on for a while and understand, God, what are you saying to me? What is it about you that I don't know that you want to teach me so that I can be a better servant, that I can understand you better than I have before? There's a passage of Scripture in Matthew. It's also in Mark and, and the Gospel of John. But I want to turn to Matthew 14, verse 22 through 33, and read with you the story about Jesus walking on the water. And that's where a lot of the focus is, but there's so much more to this story. Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Will you underline that in your Bible? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He had just, he had just fed the 5,000 people. And prior to that, he had just got the news that John the Baptist had been killed. So Jesus needs some space. He makes the disciples get in the boat, go before him to the other side of the lake while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came 
and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. How many of you would like to have been in that boat that night? I don't think they knew what was coming when they got into the boat that afternoon. Everyone has storms. And here's the deal. You're either, you've just either come out of one, or you're currently in one, or you may be going into one tomorrow. We never know. We all have storms of one kind or another, don't we? And the first thing I'd like to share with you is that not only do we have storms, in fact, some of you, some of you this morning may be in a storm that you have no idea what happened. The wind is blowing, the rain's coming, and you're going, God, what is going on in my life? Anybody say, yeah, I'm in a storm right now. There's some stuff going on. Some of you are, perhaps have experienced the worst storm of your life. And we all have them from time to time. And in fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 45. He said, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I'm not sure I like that verse. How about you? See, I thought when I got saved that all the problems were over. You know, how many of you would like that? Give your heart to Jesus and everything smooths out, smooth sailing. There's always money in the bank. Every relationship is good. You do everything right all the time. It's just a wonderful life, right? But I found out a few months after I gave my life to Jesus that the war started. Amen? The war between myself, my flesh, the devil, and all those things. And it hasn't stopped. How about you? So you see storms, problems, difficulties, trials. They come to all of us. There's no exclusion. And just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're going to be excluded from the storms of life. And some storms because we're, storms come because we're out of God's will. An example is Jonah. You know Jonah's story. God told him, hey, you go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, forget that. He had so much faith, he believed that if he went to Nineveh, that they would turn to God, and he didn't want that to happen because he didn't like them. Jonah was out of God's will. God sends a storm, and yeah, there he is. Another is Paul. He's writing to believers about, in, in the city of Corinth, about how they were dishonoring one another in the Lord's Supper, and he says this, he says, for, their, for this cause, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Wow. Another example is uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? Early church, they lied. Ananias walks in the door, and Peter says, you're lying to God, and everybody else here. And boom, he falls over dead, and a little while later, his wife comes, and she's, she falls out too. Why? Because we're so disobedient. And God dealt with them severely. Wow. I wonder how many of us, when we come into church, we say, somebody says, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm just fine. Are we telling the truth? <laughs> Anyways, if you look at verse 22, let's look at it again. Verse 22, Matthew 14. 
it says Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Some storms come because we're in God's will. Do you think Peter and James and John, these other guys, were in the will of God? Jesus said, get in the boat. They got in the boat. And it says in the New American Standard translation, he prevailed upon his disciples to get into the boat. In other words, it wasn't a suggestion. And do you think Jesus knew what was coming? I believe he did. And he still made them get into the boat. And you go, what are you doing, Lord? Well, there's storms and there's reasons for storms. And even though we don't understand them, God always, always, always wants to bring us through them, but along the way wants to teach us some things. Some storms may be more devastating than others. Storms of marriage problems. Storms may even wind up a divorce. Storms of finance. Storms of Problems with your children or with your parents or with other relatives. Storms with your neighbors. Storms of sickness or disease. And all of these are terrible storms. But you know the worst storm of all, the, the very worst storm of all, it's the one you're going through. It's your storm. And there's one part of the story that's really difficult to get your head around. And what I mean is that it would be one thing if these men ignored the weather report or discounted their wives telling them not to go fishing that night, or just being dumb guys who wanted to go fishing. That's not what happened. Instead, they went out on the lake because Jesus told them to. And Jesus is the one who put them in the boat. He's the one that told them to get out in the middle of the lake, and they're right in the middle of God's will, and yet they're having the most ferocious storm of all. And what's interesting to me is these men were fishermen. They'd been on that lake hundreds if not thousands of times and they're afraid for their lives they are afraid for their lives and the bible has many examples of people who are faithfully serving god and encountered a terrible storm of one kind or another how about job oh my gosh what storm he went through and then there's joseph he's just being a young kid and winds up being sold to slavery, winds up in jail, and on and on. You know his story too. And then there's Daniel. He's in God's will. He wants to pray. And what happens to him? He's thrown into the lion's den. And what I'm saying is that's possible for you to be obeying God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and all of that, walking in all the light as you possibly can in the center of God's will, and yet at the same time encounter the worst storm of your life. And so we can never look at another person and see what they're going through and say this, that person's doing right or that person's not doing right because this person is being blessed and this person is going through a storm. I share that with you because I know a lot of wonderful people who really do love God, who really do obey Him with all their heart, and yet because of life's uncertainties and the fact that we live in a world that's filled with sin, 
It's broken. Life gives them a tough blow. And when we have those difficult times, we have to have our feet on the ground and understand that storms happen to people in the will of God as well as it does for those outside the will. It rains on the just and the unjust, Jesus, Jesus said. So we come down to the question, where is God during the storm? Look back to verse 23 and 24. Verse 23, it says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, what did he do? He went up onto the mountain and prayed. I think that's one of the most amazing things in this whole passage. He sends the disciples out going across the lake. He knows there's a storm coming. Jesus doesn't go with them, but what does he do? He goes up on the mountain and prays. And if you've been to the Holy Land, you've been at this area around the Sea of Galilee, there are hills. And he's on one of those hills. I don't know exactly which one. I can imagine. But he's up on the mountain. And while the disciples are out on the lake in the storm, he's up on the mountain praying. And there in the middle of the lake in a storm, Jesus is on the mountain praying. And how many of you would, you, how many of you would guess he's praying for them? I know he was, because the book of Hebrews in two places tells us he is. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, storms, but was on all points tempted as we are yet without sin, and let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of what? Need. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for you and me. Jesus came into the world to talk to us about God. And now he's in heaven talking to God about us. That's what he's doing. And the writer of the book of Hebrews said that Jesus intercedes for us in the time of need. In other words, in our storms. And literally in the Greek, it means in the nick of time. The second thing is he comes to us. He comes to us. In verse 25 says, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And the, the, the nick of time idea is, is the literal rendering of the Greek term used there. It says when he came to them. In other words, we're not here on, or we are here on earth. And when we're encountering storms, Jesus is up on the mountain. He's praying for us, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And then he comes to us and ministers to us in the very nick of time. We've all heard that expression. But one of the main things Jesus wants us to understand through this story is simply this. That during the storm, he's not an out there some, somewhere, some kind of God. He is the one who is willing to enter into the very midst of our storm and come to where we are. 
Look at verse 25 again. It says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them. Jesus went to where they were. He encountered the storm. He walked in it with them. And I would like to think that Jesus comes at the very moment the storm begins, wouldn't you? The moment that you face that difficulty, wouldn't it be neat if you felt Jesus' presence right then? But that's not what it says. What is Jesus doing? What is he waiting for? It says he came in the fourth watch of the night. We'll get to that in a minute. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament says this about God. It says he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. Malachi 3.3, I will sit or he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. What does it have to do with you and me? A silversmith once said this about his craft. He said, I must sit with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace. For if, for if the time necessary for refining be exceeded in the slightest de degree, the silver will be injured. And then he went on and said, I never take my eye off the silver in the furnace. I don't want to take it out too early because if I take it out too early, it won't be purified. But I don't want to leave it in too late because if I leave it in too late, it will be injured. And so he said, when the silver is in the fire, I focus. I don't let it anything distract me. I let nothing take my focus off the silver. I watch the silver carefully, waiting for the exact moment to take it out. And they asked him, well, when's the right moment? And he said, I know the silver is pure when I can see my face reflected in it. Maybe this doesn't happen to you, but I always think I'm in the worst part of the storm. And as soon as the storm comes, I'm saying, okay, God, bail me out. You're, I'm done right now. How about you? Five minutes in, I'm, I'm done. Rescue me. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't come right away. And I have to have the assurance that he is the great silversmith while I'm in the furnace. He focuses and watches and his job isn't a quick rescue mission. His job is to purify me. And he holds back until the right moment, the nick of time. And he comes never too early, never too late, just at the right time. And when he sees his face reflected in me. Notice when Jesus came. It was the darkest hour. The fourth watch of the night. The Hebrews calculated the night beginning at 6 p.m. And from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was the first watch of the night. From 9 p.m. to midnight was the second watch of the night. The third watch was from midnight until 3 a.m. And from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. was the fourth watch of the night. That's a long time to wait, folks. If you're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the wind is blowing and the rain is thumping on you and you're soaked and you're cold and shivering and you don't know what's going to happen and you might die and you're waiting all night long, 
Do you think they were scared, afraid, wondering what's going to happen? But knowing that Jesus never takes his eyes off us. He's on the mountain praying. And at the right moment, he comes down and he starts coming toward them. He comes to us in an unexpected way. Who would ever have thought Jesus would come to them walking on the water? I mean, does that fit with you? Have you ever seen anybody do that? None of us have ever tried it, probably. If you did, you didn't succeed. But I love this part. The very thing the disciples were afraid of is the very thing Jesus was walking on. Think about that. What are they afraid of? They're in a boat. The waves are, are probably overcoming the bow of the boat. They're wondering if they're going to drown. And here comes Jesus walking on the waves. Jesus came walking on the very thing that, that frightened them. And do you see it in his quiet, majestic way? He's walking on the water and Jesus is saying, Guys, the thing that is the greatest storm in your life, I'm going to keep under my feet. If you're sick, he comes walking on your sickness. If you're in financial need, he comes walking on your need. However you're dealing with the storm is the way Jesus wants to come. Because he's the master of the storm. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is standing on top of the storm and saying, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask or think. I can overcome the very thing that gives you the greatest fear, the thing that causes you the most trouble, the thing which causes you to falter. I can walk on it. He did, and he does. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 3, is a great passage Scripture, and I hope it's underlined in your Bible too, it says this, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid. I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you're mine. And when you go through deep water, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba for your place. In other words, God says, I got this. I got this. And then he comforts us with his peace. Verse 26 and 27, again in Matthew 14. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. It's a ghost. They never expected Jesus to, Jesus to show up like that. They cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. Hey, it's me. It's me. Don't be afraid. Doesn't it seem that when the disciples saw Jesus, they would have been happy? They would have been glad? But that moment they weren't. 
they were not only afraid of the storm, they were also afraid of the one who was coming to help them, and we're often like that, aren't we? Jesus comes to help us, and we're afraid of the help he's trying to give us. Because it doesn't fit with our expectation. God, how do you want to fix this? He says, let me be God. Let me deal with it my way. All lifeguards know that if, you're, if you try to rescue someone, if you're not careful when trying to save them from drowning, the very person you're trying to save may, be, may take your life. All lifeguards are trained how to deal with that. But Jesus does know how to come, doesn't he? He ministers to us in spite of our misunderstandings. The disciples didn't know what was happening. They looked out and thought he was a ghost. They were scared to death. And now they're even more scared. They don't have a grasp of the situation. Jesus says, don't worry. And I believe Jesus wants to say that same thing to some of you this morning. You're in a tough situation. You're in a storm of some kind. You've stayed awake, worrying, fearful of the storm. And he's saying, hey, I'm here. I'm here. You know, we all encounter people who think that we should always understand everything. But nowhere in the Bible does it say we're ever going to understand much of anything. It says we see through a glass darkly. You ever read that? We do. And what that means is our eyes aren't to look this way, but they're to look this way. Jesus, you navigate. I'll ride. I've never liked the bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. If you have one, please take it off. <laughs> God is never going to be someone's co-pilot. He's either the pilot or he's not getting on the boat. Right? Paul said, we know it. We know it. What's he saying? We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. You all know that verse. And the verse before it talks about us being the will of God. The verse after it says that we're being conformed to the image of His Son. He's the silversmith. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus. And if it takes a couple storms to get us there, then get ready. You see, church, our security and our peace isn't in what we know or think we know. Our security is in who we know. And because we know Him, when we find ourselves in the middle of a terrible situation, we can confidently say, I don't, under I don't understand what I'm going through. I'm not even sure it's fair. It's usually not. And I don't like it, but I know that Jesus is praying for me. Can you say that with me? I know. Go ahead. I know that Jesus is praying for me. He always lives to make intercession for the saints. How many of you qualify? According to the will of God. Always lives. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding for you and me. That's where he is right this moment. And I also, not, not only do I know he's praying for me, that he's going to be with me. 
And I know he can walk on every storm that will ever come. So what do I learn from this? Three things. Storms allow, allow us to take a really good look at ourselves. You know, that bird nest might not have been the best creation that bird could make. The next day, he got another shot at it. Storms do that. They cause us to regroup. Try again. Secondly, storms can be a wonderful time of refreshing and restoration. I grew up in North Carolina. Thunderstorms happen every summer. I loved them. I'd sit out under the covering because I didn't want to get hit by lightning. I'm serious, it comes. But you hear those boomers and, oh man, sometimes the, you know, they would just be ferocious and then you'd see the crack of lightning and you go, man, it's on now. It was great. But after it was over with, oh, the air smelled so good. You know what I'm talking about? It just felt so good. And I love it here when we have one every five years. Like, come on, can we have a thunderstorm? Yeah. Last is they can bring spiritual growth in our life. And I said, can. Because really that's up to us, isn't it? And are you willing to bend your knee like the disciples did? In verse 33, verse 32 and 33, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Interesting that it didn't cease before then. But when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and the, those who were in the boat came and did what? They worshiped Jesus. And worship team, will you come and sing that song again? Rains came, wind blew, but my hope is fixed on, on you. He won't. He won't. Say it with me. He won't fail me. He will not fail you. He will not fail me. I'm going to ask Kevin to come, and he's going to lead us in the close. And some of you may need prayer. We want to pray for you. And the storm that maybe your bird nest has been blown down. Maybe you're in the storm right now, whatever the case is.